Yes, Lord, we thank you for Romans. We thank you for um, this letter. We pray, Spirit of God, that you would illuminate these scriptures, that you would open up the eyes of our hearts, that God, right now, in this moment, each of us would lean a little forward, that we would, in the theater of our mind, have a focus, have a tenderness in our hearts to hear from you. That all the distractions of this world, of this day, of this hour, that by your spirit you would remove and that you would teach us, God. As we ruminate on your righteousness, God, I pray that it would teach us pray that it would move us. May your gospel just continue to open up our hearts and our minds. And we pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So maybe you're wondering, what's up with all these gears? We have VBS coming up, or what are we, what are we doing? We're starting a new series today on the book of Romans. We've been gearing up, literally, uh, for, or not literally, figuratively, uh, for uh, this series uh, for quite some time. We've been planning it. We've actually written these awesome devotionals. They are actually, they're available in the back. Uh, they are these daily devotionals that a bunch of writers and teachers from our church wrote that are, that are working their way through the book of Romans, And so this week, we're covering Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. And if you pick up the devotionals in the back, every day, starting today and working your way all through Sunday, you will get, you'll read a couple verses and then get a a wonderful devotion written by someone from our church as as we seek to understand Romans. Romans is this beautiful, challenging book in the scriptures that seems to anticipate these questions that we have about God and about the gospel. Some would say it seems to be this systematic explanation of doctrine and belief about what the gospel is. And so as I was reading it and I was thinking about how we illustrate this, I was just drawn to this, this, this vision of like, like a gearbox of gears of systems, and, 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 and this, this value of, of having great, wonderful working systems to drive in. And I believe that the more that we understand Romans and the message, the theological truths of Romans, the deeper and richer our understanding of the gospel will be. My hope is that we just get a taste of it today and that we walk out today excited to dig into this book. Martin Luther, one of the great reformers, loved the book of Romans. You'll hear a little bit more about him later on today. But he had this quote about Romans. He said, this epistle, that's a letter, is really the chief part of the New Testament And it truly is the purest gospel. It is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but also that he should occupy himself with it every day. That's what we're trying to do. 
and as the daily bread of the soul, we can never read it or ponder over it too much, for the more we deal with it, the more precious it becomes, and the better it tastes. John Calvin, another great reformer, said this. He said, when anyone understands the epistles, he, he, this epistle, he has a passage open to him to the understanding of the whole scripture. Or J.I. Packer says, all roads in the Bible lead to Romans. And all views afforded by the Bible are seen most clearly from Romans. And when the message of Romans gets into a person's heart, there is no telling what may happen. You getting a little excited? How about John Piper says, Romans is the most important theological Christian work ever written. Isn't that exciting? As you think about this, my hope is that the Romans would become something that is rich and deep and meaningful to you. Here in, Ro- in, in the first 17 verses, we learn a little bit about the author of Romans, Paul the Apostle. He opens up writing about the gospel. He opens up writing about this need. to. He wants to be with the Romans. We learn that he's writing to the Roman church in Rome. He's writing to this, this gathering of Jews and Gentiles. Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians, and we're gonna learn about some of the, the unique challenges that they have in the, in the church. But right off the bat, you're gonna see this word repeated over and over again in these first 17 verses, and that's this word, gospel. And what I want you to think about as we frame this whole, all of our time together is this question, what is the gospel? When you hear that question, what is your answer? What is the gospel? If you can, why don't you take a stab at answering that question? Write down in your notes real quickly or just ruminate on this question, what is the gospel? The gospel when you see this word in the New Testament, the, 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 the Greek word for this word is euangelion. And it means good news. It's meant to be good news that you're sharing with people desperately in need of some good news. The word euangelion is similar to our word evangelical which we would, we would call ourselves evangelical Christians, gospel Christians. So as you ask yourself, what is the gospel? I believe the more that we dig into Romans, the richer, the more meaningful, and the more wonderful the gospel becomes. Romans chapter one, verse 16, Paul here is writing about this. He says, for I am not ashamed of what? The gospel. And then he he describes it. He says, for it is the power of God. For what? For salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile. And then he explains this. He says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Next verse. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. As we seek to understand the gospel, as we seek to to, to really 
understand what, what do we mean when we say the gospel? What does Paul mean when he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? What does that mean? What is this good news? Because it could mean all sorts of things. What is this good news that Paul is writing about? It seems to me, especially as we read through the book of Romans, you're gonna see this other theme throughout. Many would call this one of the, the main messages or theological messages of Romans, and that is the gospel of righteousness. This word righteousness. Notice as you read Romans how many times you see the word righteousness. And this seems to me, as I've been reading this and studying this and trying to understand what Paul is getting at, our understanding of the righteousness of God is foundational to our understanding of the gospel. And the first thing that you must understand about the righteousness of God is the person of God. The person of righteousness, and that is this, that God is righteous. This word righteous also is a synonym for just. We think of a righteous judge. When we think about a righteous judge, we need to have a judge who is going to give out verdicts that are right and true. Who's going to say, speak into sin and evil and going to correct sin against him. We want a righteous and just God. In verse 17 it says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. This is the foundational piece. As I was just thinking about the, the system of the gospel, I, I thought of, 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 of the driving gear Whenever you have a, a machine or a system or a transmission, there's a driving gear, and, and you have this driving gear, if you can show that. And this is the one that's moving. This is where all the power comes from. This is the person of God himself. He is the source of the gospel. He is the very righteousness of God. And as we read the Old Testament, Paul is talking, he says that the gospel is, is what the Old Testament, the scriptures are anticipating we read about the righteousness of God, the purity of God, the majesty of God, the, the wonder and the transcendence of God, his goodness, his perfect being, his presence. And if, as you think on this, there should bring about some awe and some wonder. Or there should even be like Isaiah in Isaiah 6 when he encounters God himself in all of his glory and all of his righteousness. It says that he falls on his face. He says, woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips. Or you think of Moses in, in, the, in Exodus when he encounters and he says, Lord, I, I just want to see you. And God says, well, you can't see me in all my glory. I'll just pass by you and I'll be in this, this cleft and you'll just be able to see a little bit of me. Just the backside. And it says that Moses comes down the mountain and his face is shining. And also, it's important to note that God's righteousness is this pureness and this perfect holiness. But it produces a problem for you and me. And the problem is this. You are unrighteous. That's the problem. And this is a part of 
the problem that we see in Romans, that, that Paul's gonna spend the next three chapters pounding into our heads. <laughs> he says later on in chapter three, he says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. In the story of scriptures, right, we were created in the image of God, we were created in Genesis chapter one, Adam and Eve created in perfection, but then we know we sinned against God. Adam ate of the apple, Adam and Eve ate of the apple, and sin entered in, and ever since then we have this condition that we call sin, unrighteousness. And the righteousness of God in his perfection must deal with our unrighteousness. This is a part of the problem. This is why in the following verse, which we're gonna focus on in detail next week, says this, it says verse 18 of chapter one says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be, known, be made known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Not only do we believe that God is righteous, there's also this reality, this bad news, that I am unrighteous. And because of that, the righteous judge judges my unrighteousness. This is a little uncomfortable especially as we read through the Old Testament or we read through the teachings of Jesus or the New Testament, it teaches us that the way that God pours out his wrath, that the punishment for our sin, that the punishment for our unrighteousness is hell, is eternal punishment. And oftentimes we get a little uncomfortable talking about that, but the scriptures don't. Jesus doesn't. He constantly talks about this, that, that this is the punishment that we deserve because of our unrighteousness. And I'm sure right now there's a whole bunch of questions and thoughts about the, how fair that is, and, and, all, and we're gonna spend the, the rest of this series talking about those questions, but I'm not gonna answer those today. I hope that you, we will, and you'll be, keep coming back, and we'll be digging into, well, how could a good God you know, send people to hell? And we're gonna deal with those as, as we get into them. Today my hope is that you just get a taste of the gospel, and the gospel is this, that God is righteous and that you are unrighteous. If you could show that graphic. This is the reality. That God and his righteousness and his holiness is all of the source, all of the goodness, all of the wonder and beauty of life is in God, and because of our sin we are separated. We are expelled from Eden and we are not connected. See it? There's no life. This is the reality. And it's just in us. You want proof of it? Just go have children. <laughs> you don't gotta teach your kids to sin. Did you know that? No, you don't, Laura. I don't gotta, I, I don't, when, my, when my, my kids, I did not teach them to bite each other. Okay, we'll talk later. But I never, when my kids look at me, 
I don't, I don't go biting my wife. And they're like, oh, that's what we do. We should bite our wives, right? We should bite each other or punch each other in the face. There's something deep within us that, that is inclined. We're prone to wander. We're prone to be selfish. We're prone to pridefulness. We're, we're prone to sin. It's a part of our sinful nature. And so we recognize this. But what I love about the gospel, and when Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power is that the gospel doesn't leave us in our unrighteousness. It does something, and here's the power. God is righteously righteousing the unrighteous. We made up a new word today. Actually, we didn't, I think John Stott did. God is righteously righteousing the unrighteous. God is doing this work of righteously Un, of righteousness, the unrighteous. Us in our righteousness, we be, can be, be made righteous through Jesus. Romans 1.16, he says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is what? Turn to the person next to you and say, the power of God. It's the power of God. God is the one who does the righteous work. He does this. He sees us in our unrighteousness. He sees us in our depravity. He sees this, and his righteousness causes him to say, I'm going to do a righteous work in making those unrighteous people righteous. How? By sending my righteous son to be a sacrifice, to be a means, a way to take on sin, to take on our unrighteousness, and to give us his righteousness. And so if we could have a picture of this, this is what this would look like. This is what the gospel does. It activates us. It's this faith that we believe when we have faith in God and in what he's done in his righteousness by his work, through our faith, we become righteous. So when Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, this is what he's getting at. I don't want you to hear this. This is not just about the forgiveness of sins. This is not just about the cleansing of sins. That's a part of the gospel, but it's not the full gospel. Because the gospel doesn't start in Genesis chapter 3. The gospel doesn't start with us in our sin. The gospel starts with us in Eden, made in the image of God. Made with God telling his creation to go and be fruitful and multiply to, to work the garden. And the gospel is about restoring humankind to that. Yes, it's got to deal with our sin, but it's also bringing us back into a right relationship with God, making us righteous for the good works which he's created us to do. So as I think about the gospel, it's not just about my sins being dealt with, it's about myself being restored to do the work that God has called me to do. Do you understand this? As I was thinking about this, my definition of the gospel, I would call it this way, I would say, the gospel is thy kingdom come. It's the reign of King Jesus in the realm of my heart. It's the good news that Jesus changes everything. It's the belief that through faith in God, 
in his righteousness that he's doing a work of making me righteous. And it's a righteous work. Commentators, they, they, they debate about this definition of the righteousness of God. There's really three views of it. One is that the righteousness of God is a reference to God being the righteous God. Two, being that the righteousness of God is a reference to the gift of righteousness to all his people who are made righteous. Or three, that the righteousness of God is the act of God doing his work. And I think when Paul is writing about this, it's all three. It's that God is righteous, that he is making us righteous in this righteous way. And this is our call into this. And I believe as we dig into Romans, you're gonna see even richer and deeper and wonder at this beautiful gospel. My hope is, as we reflect on this, is that it would change you. Martin Luther, one of the great reformers, the one who wrote these five solos, that part of our reformed faith, we would have these reformed convictions, struggled with Romans 1.17 for years. He wrote about, as he was a monk, he would, he, would, he would reflect and think about the righteousness of God, and this would bring about terror for him, and he would, he would go to, to, his, to the, the priest, and he would try to confess every single sin, because he wanted to make sure that he articulated everything to God, and he would, he would agonize, and, and then one day, as he was looking at this, he recognized that the righteousness of God is not just God's righteousness, it's also him making us righteous. And he says, he said this, he said, then finally God had mercy on me and I began to understand that the righteousness of God is a gift of God by which a righteous man lives, namely faith. And that sentence, the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel is passive, indicating that the merciful God justifies us by faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now I felt as though I had been reborn altogether and I had entered paradise. In the same moment, the face of the whole of scripture became apparent to me. Just as intensely as I had now hated the expression of the righteousness of God, I now lovingly praised this most pleasant word. This passage from Paul became to me the very gate to paradise. As we reflect on this, my prayer is that when we see that word righteousness of God, that it would just continue to ring true. And what does this mean for us? What are the implications for this, for our lives today? My hope is, especially as we dig into Romans, is that we would walk humbly and honestly in the gospel of righteousness. That we would walk humbly and honestly in the gospel of righteousness, that when we look at this gospel, that we would recognize that the gospel is about God making us righteous, that that would bring about us this humility. That it's not about me being able to do something or earn something or, 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 or accomplish some sort of, of religious 
check boxes, to, to earn my way into something. No, Jesus is the one who's done that. And I have this humility about me that, that just says, oh man, I am unrighteous, but yet God makes me righteous, which leads to the second piece is I'm honest about my struggles. I'm honest about my need for a savior. I'm honest about my, my need to truly walk with Jesus. Now what does this look like in practice? Well, I was, I was thinking about this. How, how can we live this out? How can we walk humbly and honestly? I thought there were three really good challenges I wanted to give to myself and to you for the rest of this year as we dig into the book of Romans. One, read Romans. Read Romans. Don't just take my word for it. Open up your Bibles and read it. Get the reading plan. Dig into Romans. If, if Luther and Calvin and Piper or, or all these people said that this is a really important book, we should probably read it. And not just listen to Logan read it or Marvin read it, but we should read it. It takes about 30 minutes to 45 minutes. I would encourage you this week, read the whole book in one setting. Get a feel for the whole message of Romans. Grab that reading plan. Get on the app and do the reading plan on the app. Whatever it works, read Romans. Second, pray for righteousness. Pray for righteousness. Join Paul in having this, this, this confession of faith that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, that I believe that God is righteously righteousing unrighteous people. I am an unrighteous person, but somehow God is making me righteous. And I'm gonna constantly be asking and praying that he would do this work in me every day, every moment, every minute, every second. Pray for righteousness. Third, meet for repentance. I think in our day and age, this word repent is really uncomfortable. And it shouldn't be. This is something the church has been called to do all the time. We constantly see in scriptures repent and believe. And repent, what it means is, is to turn from sin and turn towards Christ. It's not just about saying, I don't wanna do this anymore or, or I wanna do better. It's saying that I put my faith in Jesus, the righteous one, the one who's done it all. I put my faith in him. And I loved, the reason why I said meat for repentance, I believe that in our individualistic day and age, oftentimes we miss the, chance, the, the, the reality that repentance is not just you going in a closet and praying repentance to God all by yourself. It's actually articulating that to a brother or sister in Christ. It's, it's done in community. It says in James, to confess your sins to one another and you will be healed to meet for repentance. There's something about God's work in us being honest about our need for a savior. I remember years ago when I was a young dad, it's like I'm still a young dad, but maybe not as young as I once was. My little guy, Jude, I remember one time just talking to some friends, maybe even in a sermon, 
confessing how that week I had had this anger and I had a moment of picking him up and shaking him and feeling so much guilt and shame over that sin. And there was something about confessing that and just saying, I got a problem with anger that helped me to be able to get to a place of, of getting healing from that. That today I don't shake my kids anymore. <laughs> that God has given me healing from that and helped me to deal with my anger. Do I still have anger at times? Yes, but I've gotten so much better and it's not because of something I've done, it's because I've gotten to a place of confessing my sin to God and asking him to make me righteous. And we miss this. It's one of the things I love about Celebrate Recovery. Every Wednesday night, we have a, a group called Celebrate Recovery, and the way that Celebrate Recovery works oftentimes is when you come up and you talk, you say, hey, my name is Logan, and I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. He is my friend, he is my savior, he is my Lord, and I struggle with this. And then you just talk about what your struggles are. But you talk about it in the framework that I, Jesus is my savior. And so you're stepping out of denial. You're stepping out of faking it till you make it, of pretending when there's all this other stuff going on and you're letting the light of Christ shine on the darkness and the evil and to bring about healing. If God is the one who can make us righteous, why not ask him to? And not just in generalities, like to actually speak it into existence. I know, church, the longer I do this, that we got darkness in this room, that we got evil and sin in our lives, and we gotta confess it to Jesus. We got men and women who struggle with addictions, with, with alcohol, with, with sexual addictions, with lying, with, with pride, with ego, with anger. And, and we need to be a people that, can, that join Paul in saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to bring about salvation. And it's gonna do a work. And my prayer, as we dig into Romans, is that the wonder of the gospel would continue to do its work in you. That the wonder of the gospel would continue to do its work in you and that you would trust the process. That you would continue to join me in being a people that are honest and humble and walking in the way of righteousness. And the way that we walk in righteousness is on our knees in repentance. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, thank you. I thank you for the book of Romans. I thank you for this reminder, God, that even right now as I pray to you, as we pray to you, that we are speaking, God, we believe with all of our faith that you are God, that you are real, that you are good, that you are righteous. But yet, God, in your righteousness, you see me in all my unrighteousness, and you've done something about it, you've sent your son to die a horrible death that I deserve, to take on my sin, to take on my misery, to take on my unrighteousness, and you give me his righteousness, and he gives it to me. Thank you, Jesus. And in this moment, we just wanna confess with Paul, 
I do not understand what I do for what I hate I do and what I want to do I do not do. But thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. And God, we wanna let this be a time and a space of your beloved people, brothers and sisters in Christ, Jews and Gentiles, of confessing faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That you are truly the King. And I pray, Lord, as we sing of your love, I pray, Lord, as we continue to profess our faith in you, that you would stir up in us an honesty and a humility. And God, in all of this, we just believe that this is all for your glory and our good. So have your way in this moment as we pray together, as we sing together. Stir within us, God. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Thank you, Father. And we pray this together in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Just stand and sing together.